Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. All right. Uh, Hey, this will be our last night uh, for a while, so... um, We'll pick up sometime in August. I can't. I can't remember the dates, but um, uh, we got a lot of stuff going on in in uh, June. We got the move next week, and then after that, we have the business meeting. We have to get approved for the budget for next year. So uh, we got a lot going on. So we're going to have to end a little bit earlier this year, but we'll start back in August. And that being the case, um, trying to think of something else. Um, if you can help us out, if you know anybody that's coming in from out of town to help us and you know them, please contact them and let us let them know about just what Keith said, that we're delayed a little bit. And because we, we had intentionally, intentionally decided to start moving on after Sunday and uh, that's not going to be possible. So we didn't want people coming in. We know we have some of the folks coming from out of state to help us and people even taking vacation days off. Um, so we don't want you to burn your days. We don't want you coming in too early. So uh, let them know if you know somebody that's coming out of town to help us and alert them. We're going to send out an email and everything we can do. But um, I just want to—I don't want to burn someone's vacation if they're taking that time off, or burn someone, you know, having to stay in a hotel for several days for nothing. So uh, that would help us out. Okay. Um, are we good with the gremlins? We're connected? Okay. All right. We've had gremlin problems already, so um, we, I think we figured it out. So let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come together. We thank you for this whole semester that you have given us to study your word and prepare for perilous times. And so, Father, as we study this last lesson, illuminate us to your word. Help us to apply it to our lives and live it out before you. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're on the topic of, of the faith that Paul is saying that got him through perilous times. And we looked at a, uh, last time several things that hinders our faith and uh, causes us to stumble. And so we've, we've looked at that. But now I want to go into the aspect of how to grow your faith if you're lacking in certain areas. And uh, we all struggle with this. We all have difficulties uh, on certain areas, trusting God for certain things. And that's why it's very important to get uh, to be specific about what is it that I don't trust about God. And then you have to start doing a deep dive in that area. So the principle that we're working with then is Romans 10, 17. And you guys all know the passage that faith comes by hearing, right? And hearing by the word of God. And so that, that is the principle of how you increase faith. And in perilous times, you're going to have to have a lot more faith than you and I have now. Uh, that's what I'm preparing for to, right now in, my, in my, uh, my way of preparing for what's coming is I'm, I'm having to increase my faith in certain areas. Uh, certain areas like um, justice, I, I, I'm... I'm I'm struggling with justice. I'm, you know, I'm struggling with the anger towards uh, the sin that's being perpetrated on people, um, and so um, I'm, I'm trying. I need to increase in that area. I can see in my own life, and um, I have to increase 
my faith in God's provision because, um, you know, things are going down bad, pretty bad about, you know, ESG scores, um, all these other things that are going to hamper our lives, you know, elimination of gas stoves, you know, those types of things. And uh, I need to increase that area for what's coming. And so that's what you have to start thinking about. What are the weaknesses that you have and how do you strengthen them? Well, the only way you do it in principle is you have to hear the word of God in that area. You have to build it up through hearing the word of God. But then most people don't understand how to apply the principle. So you can understand that at the principle level and you can read your Bible and that's that's what you're supposed to do. But then you have to read it for a purpose and that's the, the thing that people don't do. I'm not knocking how people read their Bible. It's, it, it, I mean, just reading your Bible is a good thing. There's no doubt about that. But if you want to go to the next level, you have to read your Bible for a purpose, for a specific reason. And, um, you know, you can read the, the Bible in general, and, you can, and people do these 365-day things, and that's great and all. But what they're doing a lot of times is they're reading it but not understanding what they're reading and not understand the context, not understand the principles and not understand the application. It would actually be better for you to go five years through the Bible and, and each passage you're looking at actually take your commentaries and get the historical cultural background and understand the principles that are involved in that text because at the end of five years, I guarantee you, you'll be further along than someone just read the Bible five times over and didn't know the context and didn't know what these things meant, mean. And, and, and so faith really comes down to how you are interpreting the passage you know, based on the hermeneutics and, and things of that nature. Now, here's the principle in action that I want to show you before I show you the application of the principle. And... It starts with uh, the first scene that we see Mary and Martha, who are Lazarus's sisters, um, dealing with the Lord. And it doesn't say where they're at, but it's their house was in Bethany. We know Lazarus lived in Bethany along with Martha and Mary. And you know the whole scene that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, right? Well, the first encounter we get in Luke 10 is a scene where Jesus is staying at Lazarus's house and obviously Mary and Martha are there, and there's an interaction with them with him. And um, I think it's important to understand this principle as you see it play out in, in these women's lives. So it says, now it happened as they were, oh, sorry, uh, that they went, let me start again. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, a, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Again, this is the house of Lazarus. This is in Bethany. That's about two, three miles south of Jerusalem. And she had a sister named Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Martha has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. 
Now, what is this scene about? Well, it comes down to if you're going to hear the word, you have to you you have to be willing to stop your activities. Michael, that's your phone, dude, not mine. I'm glad it was that and some, not something else or something. You all good, man? All right. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> Anywho, um, so what he, he so there's an aspect here about what she's doing. It says that Mary sat at Jesus's feet and heard his word. And, and what does it mean that she's doing this? Well, this is very unusual in many regards because this is a discipleship term, actually. Um, to sit at somebody's feet means that you're learning from them and uh, you're discipling, you're being discipled by them. So the, Luke is writing in that sense to give you the idea that instead of serving first, she wants to listen first before she serves. She wants to understand what he is trying to say to her. And, and, and that's where it's the idea of heard his word, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And she will exhibit the faith because she's listening. Now, you, you, you look at her as opposed to Martha, and Martha is serving the Lord, which is a good thing, but she is not taking in She's just serving, and it says she was distracted by the serving. And if you notice what she says, she actually commands the Lord, pretty arrogant in that sense, that um, tell her to help me. She commands the Lord to give the Lord uh, uh, the Lord to get command to Mary to help her. So she's telling God what to do. Okay, I ought to tell you her at, her attitude and personality type. Um, She's stronger than goat's breath, right? You, you, you catching the drift? If someone, if, if someone has the ability to order Jesus around, wow, okay, uh, you're out there, man. But anyway, she, she, it, Mar, it, look how Jesus responds. You're worried and troubled about many things, aren't you? That's your problem, Martha. But one thing is needed, and you're not doing it, Martha. So, Understand this, that service to the Lord doesn't bring necessarily depth to you, okay? Service to the Lord is good and is what he desires from us, but you must not put the cart before the horse. There's something in, as a priority that must happen before you serve. You must sit at the feet of Jesus and you must be discipled by him, by his word, which will increase your faith, and then you can serve. It's not the other way around. And Martha, as you can tell in her service, is agitated by the things going on around her. Okay, And she's troubled by many things. It means she has anxiety, she has stress, and, and she's busying herself a lot of times to, to try to get ahead of everything. 
And that's what a lot of us do. Um, when stress and anxiety hits us, we don't know what to do. So what do we do? We start being busy about things and stressed out and anxiety oriented and, and not sleeping and stuff like that. Well, the reason she's like that is because she's not taking in from Jesus. She's not sitting at his feet and being discipled by him to increase her faith. And so it's contrasted. And so he says, of course, one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. She has chosen to actually learn first before she serves. And, and what does that mean? Well, as you learn, you grow in your faith. And that faith allows you to serve at greater levels. So there's an end result to this. So if you try to serve without having content, you will fall. Okay, so there's a service principle here too. Um, many people that try to do great things for the Lord in their minds, they flop big time because they don't have the faith necessary to do what they're trying to achieve for the Lord. And they flop. This is why like 80% of churches that, 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 that try to start out as a church plant fail in the first year. And then within five years, this is why 80% of them that made it through the first year fail at the fifth year because they don't have the faith to carry on. They don't have the strength to carry on, the perseverance to carry on because they're not trained properly by Jesus in the word. They have to have enough faith to persevere. So it's a big deal, no doubt about that. And so it's being illustrated by this. And, and as the result is, it is more important that you learn first before we put you into action in the church, okay? So she's doing the right thing. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And, and how this plays out eventually, I want to take you further past the story. So here she is learning at the feet of Jesus, okay? So, right before Jesus is crucified, he comes back to Lazarus' house after Lazarus has been raised from the dead, if you recall. And it's Mary that takes an expensive uh, flask or you know, vase of oil and anoints the Lord. You remember that? And then the social justice warrior... Um, Judas, the social justice warrior, says, hey, this, could, this money could, have been, this could be sold and money given to the poor. Typical social justice type of guy. And Jesus rebukes Judas because she has done what, what he, it needed to happen. She's preparing me for my burial by already anointing me by this. She, is, she has done the greater thing. This is the most important thing that she could do. And then it says in Scripture, and what she has done will be said to the entire world. Everyone will know what she did for me by doing this. Now, why did she do this? Well, obviously, if, if he says she's doing this to prepare me for burial, what does she expect? Because she's learned at the feet of Jesus, and the disciples don't get this. What does she know? That he's going to die, guys, and that he's going to be resurrected. 
Because it's interesting, she's not found at the tomb. She doesn't go. The other ones go, but not Mary. Mary doesn't go. Why? What does it imply if she's pouring oil on him, expecting that for his burial? She believes in the resurrection, that he's going to die, be buried, and resurrect. So therefore, all she needs to be done at that point is told that he is resurrected. She doesn't need to see it. She doesn't need to go to the tomb. She actually believes the death, burial, and resurrection prior to it even happening. And how does she know that? Because she sat at the feet of Jesus. And when you do that, you get to know him. And you get to know his plan and his purpose. And if you don't sit at his feet, you'll spend your Christian life scurrying around, anxiety-ridden, filled with stress, serving all these places, but, but not understanding what's going on. And that's the difference between the Laodicean aspect of the church versus the Philadelphia remnant aspect. The Philadelphia remnant, because they have sat at the feet of Jesus, knows what's going on. You talk to Laodicea, they have not spent time with Jesus to know his plans and purposes. Therefore, they can't interpret what's happening. That's the problem. And because of their lack of biblical understanding and their biblical ignorance, you and I, because we have the inside scoop on things, look like we're crazy to them, right? We look like we don't know what we're talking about. So when we talk about a high manifestation of demonic activity, they look at us as a calf at a new gate. They're like, I don't know what you're talking about because they're not even in the game. They're not even dealing with this stuff. Right? We are. We're dealing with this on a week to week basis of demonic activity hitting Christians. We deal with it all the time. But they're not in the game, so they don't know. Furthermore, they don't know. I, I, was, I was having a conversation with Jan today. I, I did an interview with Olive Tree. It's going to be aired in about 10, uh, not, uh, 10 days or whatever. And we were talking about, she goes, Brandon, you know what? Most of the people listening, they don't even know what ESG is. They have no clue. They don't, uh, they don't have no clue that uh, digital currency is coming. They don't have any clue about the plans of the World Health Organization and all the stuff that we were talking about on the show. And I said, you're right. And I, I said, they're dis they're, they've checked out um, because they don't sit at the feet of Jesus. They don't understand his ways, his methods, his program, what's happening. So I, I'll give you an example Look what we talked about last week. I want you to understand the program of God. If we do not have a revival in America, America goes down the tubes. You understand that? Okay, if there's something, if God doesn't allow a miracle, but here's the thing, God won't violate the human heart. He will not violate it. The human heart has to want it, Okay. So if it doesn't happen, then you know what the end result is. But then according to prophecy, you would know the plan of that. What, what, what does that mean then? It doesn't mean that America disappears off the radar. It means that America becomes a second-rate country 
and then will go under the guise of the, uh, or then under the sovereignty or authority of a global system. That's all. That's what it'll do. And it's doing it right now. You know, there was a vote this, this last May. If America would accept the dictates of the World Health Organization telling Americans about their health care and what we should do. And it got punted. It got punted to 2024, May of 2024. They're they almost going to make a decision this last May. And they didn't. And that would have meant that, that Tedros would be making medical decisions for us here in America. Okay? That, that's, and we know that. That's where it's going. That's where it's, it's, it's heading in a globalistic direction. But if, if you don't sit at the feet of Jesus and understand the program, then, then you think that everything's just going to keep rolling. And you have almost what we call a, a, a uniformitarianism in your mind. Well, it's always been bad, and it, you know it's no different than it was in the 50s, no different than it was in the 1700s. What? Do you under, do you, when you make that statement, do you know how ignorant you sound that it's always been like this? No, it hasn't. No, it hasn't. We have never seen this level of evil in America or in Western society ever, ever. I don't care what era you mark it down in. I mean, this kind of stuff goes back to Babylon junk, you know? Um, and so it's the Christians that sit at the feet of Jesus and take the time to learn instead of being so busy, they're running around with their heads cut off, going to this activity, that activity, this experience, this experience, and not knowing what's going on. They have no clue. And what do they miss? They miss the plan and purpose of God. Mar Mary knew. Martha doesn't. That's why you find Martha running to the tomb. Mary doesn't even go because she already knows. I anointed him for his death. I knew he what was going to happen. Because why? He told me. Like he told all the disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. The son of man will die. And she, okay. No problem. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by who? The word of God. By what? So that's what happens here. So let's then unpack it. That's a, the principle. But then let's unpack this on, a, on a, um, an application way. This deep trust in the Lord. How do we increase our faith? Well, you, well yes, you go to the word and you have to look at what the world re word reveals about certain things. Okay? So this is how you read your Bible. If you want to increase your faith, you have to have a deep understanding of the Lord's ways. This is what Moses wanted to know. I want to know your ways. It's not just simply I want to know of you. I want to know your ways. How do you operate? Why do you do the things you do? Because on a human level, this doesn't make sense. But I want to know why. Why do you do that? I want to know why. Certain tribes in Canaan were completely wiped out. I want to know why Sodom and Gomorrah was completely wiped out for what they were doing. I want to know why. If you never know why, then you don't know him. You have to know the reasons why. Why is it necessary 
for 21 judgments to be poured upon this earth in seven years. Why must God do that? Right? You have to know those answers. If you know those answers, that means you intimately start knowing who he is and know his ways, his values, his ethics, his morality, his principles, methodologies. God has a methodology. Do you know what that methodology is? Let me tell you what it's not. It's not the end justifies the means. That's number one. Most Christians don't even understand that concept. They think the ends justify the means. So they will do whatever to achieve an end. And that doesn't matter how they come about doing it. It doesn't matter if the, the pastor rides a Harley uh, or swings down from harnesses in the, the church and appears in smoke and fog. They think, well, the, the, the ends justify the means or whatever, right? Um, what is his ethics? What is God's morality? Why, why, is it, why is it? Here's the funny thing about it. And my staff will tell you this. Why is it I'm getting a pushback from Christians and our staff is getting a pushback from Christians on black and white issues? Why? I thought that argument is settled on black and white issues. We're not talking about whether or not you should put up a Christmas tree. We're talking about whether or not you should have sex outside of marriage. How did that become a debatable issue? What's the problem? Christian, don't you know what, what, what's happening? The Christian doesn't know the ethics and morals of God, apparently. Or if they do, they're ignoring it. Why am I having debates like that? Why is my staff having debates like that? I guess because if you go to another church, they don't even talk about that. Well, it, you love is love, I guess. Have sex with whatever you want as long as love is there and you're committed in a monogamous relationship. You don't know God. I'm not saying they're not saved. They don't know God's ways. They don't know the reason why the commands exist. Do you know why God created male and female and created a family unit? Do you know why he did that? It's to create a society that's based on that unit. And you cannot have a society that's not based on, based on anything else other than a man and woman raising a child in that society. How about this? Most people, because they, they're so anti-authority, so anti-authority, will not accept the authority of God in their lives. They won't. They rebel against it. They want to be their own authority. And when they do that, and they rebel against that authority, their, their lives become unraveled, and they don't know why. It turns into a mess, because they won't play their part Everybody in here has a role to play. If you decide that you're not going to play your role, then you will destroy your life. It's that simple. There's hierarchies of structure. There's ways of behaving. There's ways that you fit into society. Okay? And what not, right now, people are not fitting into society because they're making up their own rules. How about this one? This is another thing you need to know. You have to have a deep understanding of God's emotions. You have to understand, what does God get mad at? Does God get angry? Absolutely. He doesn't sin, but he gets angry. And you can be angry and not sin too, according to Paul. But you have to know, what does God love? What does God hate? Does God hate? 
Yes, he hates evil. He hates wickedness. He hates sin, right? You're supposed to hate the same things he hates. You're supposed to love the same things he loves. And if you have that, you're connected and you understand empathetically why God is so furious when people mess with children. Why is God so angry at Sodom and Gomorrah? Why is he so angry that he floods the world? Why is he so angry that he sends 21 judgments and destroys the world by fire in the tribulation? Why? You need to understand why he's so emotional about that. Why did Jesus take the, guy, the money changers and whip them out twice in his ministry, at the beginning and at the end? Why was Jesus so mad? You get you know what I'm saying? In order to understand, see, in order to trust God, you have to understand his emotions, right? You have to understand the emotions of God. Why does Jesus weep when he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead? Why is Jesus called our sympathetic high priest, which means he can emotionally empathize with everybody in this room and say, I was there but I experienced it a million times more than you, but I know what it feels like. That's what a sympathetic high priest means, that I actually, I, I, I've been in your shoes. I know what betrayal means. I know what rejection means. I know what people spitting on you means. I know what that means a million times over, a million times over, I know that. But here's what people realize. You also have to connect to his emotions. You want God to connect to you, and he does, but you have to connect to God emotionally as well. See, even in any, this is a relationship. We're talking about a relationship. So like, like, for instance, if you're married and you are disconnected emotionally, which means you can't empathize with your spouse, like a hard day they go through or they're, they're feeling health pains or whatever, and you're like, I just can't, I can't connect emotionally to that. And you're disconnected. What does it do to the relationship? It causes trust problems. So the other person won't trust you because you can't connect emotionally. And so if you want to trust God more, you have to connect emotionally to his emotions. His emotions are proper. His emotions are not driven by sin. His emotions are holy. So when he's angry about something, you should be angry about something. And if you're not, there's something wrong with you. You're not you're not connecting properly. So, you know, the, the apostasy we see in the church, you know, a drag queen pastor or a drag queen performance, or think, think about this. We're the Christians. We're getting ready to partner up with another movement because the Fox Theater is going to have some Christmas drag queen show, you know, in December. And, uh, uh, you know, we've been asked to... to help fight against that, and we are. Um, that's just a given. But I, I want to say this, where are the other Christians? Because we'll be the only ones there. We'll be the only ones there. And I want to say, where are these other big churches? Where are their pastors? I don't see them. Where are they? Because they don't understand the emotions. Where are the other pastors? Where are the other churches praying against Planned Parenthood? Why is it that Judy Goat and why is it that um, uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers 
from the Bakersfield Pregnancy Center and the Kern County Right to Life say we're a lot of their support is coming from us. I know we're not the only church in town. I know that. Where are the rest of them? Why is Philip Lee, who's a member of our church, who does his way out of getting people out of the homosexual lifestyle and out of the lesbian lifestyle, why doesn't anyone want to partner with him? Why are we the only ones? They won't even let us speak at the other churches. Why is that? Because those Christians don't connect to God. They don't love what he loves, and they don't hate what he hates. That's the problem. They love sin. And they love it so much they won't speak out against it. The other thing to understand, to to connect deeply to the Lord and increase your faith, is you must understand the Lord's motives. The goodness that he commits to us, that he wants from us, and and that he promises us, that, that everything that happens to us, even in suffering and trials and tribulation, are meant for our betterment. It's not a guarantee, but it's a meant for our betterment if we react correctly. So if you think you're being treated unfairly as a Christian, then you don't understand God's motives. And this is why you get bitter, and this is why you get angry at God, and this is why you get mad about your life and how it's going, because you apparently don't understand God's motives. He is not here to make your life comfortable. He is here to save you and to make you more like Christ. And in order to do that, you must suffer. And there's no other way around it. I think in America, we've been treated too softly by the churches. And and, and people have this entitlement mentality that I don't need to suffer. Well, if you don't suffer, you're not going to grow. And when perilous times hit you, you're going to cave. You're going to cave. Because I don't know in, in any time and era of history where Christians didn't suffer. And now it's about to happen, as we'll see in the next episode tonight, that Christian persecution is coming to America. It's already starting. They're already arresting people now for just praying on a sidewalk. FBI is pounding down your door with, with you know, their, their, their weapons drawn and because you just protested or, or prayed at a, at a uh, Planned Parenthood. So what, is his, what was his motives? What's God's motives in allowing the church right now to see so much of this? What do you think his motives are? What do you think his motives of why we're still here? I was talking to Jan about this. And she says, I can't believe we're still here. I said, neither can I. I can't believe we're here either. I thought we'd be long gone by now. And, 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 and there must be a motive. There must be multiple motives that God still has the church here. I mean, could it be that he wants us to see that these people really do deserve the punishment of the tribulation, the worst time in history? Could it be that his motives is to make sure the last Gentile is saved? according to scripture, before he raptures us? Could it be that the motive is that he wants to separate the wheat and the tares in the church and make the separation happen? Yeah, doctor. I think we need to remember something. All through history, spiritual awakenings come, but not until the church gets his act together, then the world gets his act together. Yeah, and, and you're, you're making a good point. So if the church is not going to get its act together, kiss it goodbye. And that's what the, and, and that's what's happening. 
Um, and so this, this is where you have to understand what's the motive, you know, that all that God is doing in Israel's life, what is he doing in the church? What is his motivation? Because if you're having a relationship with somebody, you have to know their motivations, Otherwise, like if you're an atheist and you just looked at some of the passages in the Old Testament and you would say, I don't understand that. Why would God flood the world and kill everybody? It seems like he's mean and cruel, right? That's what the atheists say. Why would he just destroy? What was his motives in destroying Sodom and Gomorrah? What was his motives for destroying the whole world? Well, they don't know the backstory, do they? They don't know the, the genetic outbreak that happened, right? With the humans and animals that happened from the Nephilim. They don't understand that. They don't understand the sin of sodomy, do they? They don't understand how demonic actually that is and what it can do to a society to where the society has to be completely destroyed once the society embraces that lifestyle and, uh, and celebrates it. It, it, what, what's the motive? Because it will that that sexual sin, along with every other perverted sin, destroys your society. It does, and it's play, if it's played out long enough, it gets very demonic. Why, why do you think the sodomites wanted to have sex with the male angels? Well, it's sodomy, right? But it's more than that. Did they know there were angels? Did they know there were angels? Because angels always appear as young men. Did they know there were angels? Because if, if they did, if they did, and we'll study Sodom and Gomorrah on Sunday mornings when we study it, if they did know they were angels, then it's back to Genesis 6, but in a more perverted way. What? Way more perverted. It wasn't angels going to females. It was males wanting the angels to rape them. Or the vice versa which is even way more of a problem than even Genesis 6. And so maybe we'll study it, we'll look at it, but you have to know the Lord's motives, don't you? The other thing you have to know is the Lord's interpersonal traits. What do you mean? I gotta know, I gotta know God's faithfulness. I've got to know his mercy, his love, his grace, justice, and judgment, and integrity. Now, here's what you have to understand about the interpersonal traits. And this is a hard one. Everybody that has some basis of theological understanding knows that God cannot lie and that he's completely honest because he is holy. That's his character. That's his nature, okay? And everybody would understand that. If that's the case, then why don't people trust him with their lives? If he's completely trustworthy, if he never will lie to you, he will always tell you the truth, why is it so hard to trust him? You get what I'm saying? You can know even it. Let me ask you this. You have a company, 
okay? And you start this company up from the ground. And, uh, and uh, you put a lot of work into it. Now you're in your retirement years. You're, you're eventually wanting to give this over to your kids. You know, it's a, I don't know, it's a shoe place or something. I don't know. And, uh, but they're, they're not old enough to run the company. So you hire, you hire a manager to, or CEO to run this company for you until they're of age because you want to go into retirement. You don't want to have to be a, with the grind anymore. But then you hire somebody, and he's completely honest. He will never rip you off. They, he will never embezzle you, with you. He will never he, – he, um, he's, he's a straight arrow. But then you still have a funny feeling about him. And you can't put your finger on it, but there's an element that, well, I know he's completely honest, but I don't trust him. And then when you're questioned, why don't you trust him? Why did you hire him? What is he? You think he's embezzling? No. You think he's doing everything by the book legally? Yes. But why don't you trust him to run your company? In the guy? So you hired this guy for your company, and you're like, you know what? He's honest, man. He doesn't embezzle. He does everything by the book, but yet I get this funny feeling that I can't trust him. And what you start finding out is, well, why don't you trust him? And then you're pushed to the issue, and you're forced to say, why don't you trust him? Well, I have a funny hunch that he doesn't see the business the way I see it. He, he, He's doing business with other people we wouldn't normally do business with. He's, he's taking the company in a direction that I wouldn't take it in. So because it's not fitting the way I want him to run the company for at least 10 years or whatever, I know he's honest, but I don't trust him. What is that? What would you call that? Is it discernment? Is it, is it because you lose the control? Because he's going to take the company a different way. But is he going to cheat you? No, he's not going to cheat me. But he's going to take the company a different way, a, a, a way I didn't intend to take it. But on paper, is the company doing better? Yes, it's actually doing better. He's doing deals that I wouldn't normally do, but it's actually helping the company. But I still don't like it. What is that? Therein lies the answer to that is why people know God is holy, totally trustworthy, totally faithful. The answer to that is the same reason people don't trust his integrity. That's why. They don't like the direction of letting go of the control to him and the direction he will take it in. So they don't trust that direction and they hold on to their control freak life. Because they, they know if they, if they put that business in this guy's hand that's completely honest, he might take the company to make more money, to have more benefits or whatever, hire more employees. And the person just likes, well, I like it when it was just mom and pop here. Well, wait a second. It has to grow beyond mom and pop. 
The ministry has to grow beyond mom and pop. And so they won't let go. And so a lot of people know God has integrity, know he won't lie, but they're afraid to give him the control of their lives because at that point, they know he's going to take them in a different direction. And they won't do it. And if you can't let it go, you're stuck. You're not going to grow. You're not going to move from there. The other thing is a deep understanding of the Lord's history in the Bible and with our lives. I've mentioned this before, but you have to include this as a factor of how to grow. You have to look at the history of what God is showing you in his word, what he does. That history is proving that he's trustworthy. And then you look at your own history, like I've mentioned before, and you look at what he's done with your life, and you'll see the history with you. He's always been there. He's always provided. He's always protected. And he's always done the right things for you, even though bad things have happened. Six, you have to have a deep confidence in the Lord's ability and power. The evidence of not trusting in his power and ability is when the person seeks worldly security to make themselves feel safe in this world. That's what you'll see. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, don't go get insurance. Get insurance, you know. You've got to plan for the future, no doubt about that. And you, you have to do the normal things. But this type of individual so will surround themselves with worldly security because they're afraid that they're unprotected and that God doesn't have the ability to protect them and the things most important to them. And so they freak out. And they, 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 they make their own security, whether that's money, power, positions and jobs or anything like that uh, is what they seek because they won't trust God's security. Seven, a deep understanding of how and when the Lord will deliver his promises. You have to know when he says he's going to deliver. So the mistake at the charismatic wing of our, 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 our uh, Christianity is that they take the promises a lot of times for now. That these are now promises. He promises right now that this is happening to us. And that's a mistake because they don't understand the timing of the development of the promise. The promise is not made for here. It's made for there. It's made for the future. It's made that he will make good on it in the future, not right now. And so therefore, the timing of the, of the element of promises has to be in the equation to understand here, I'll give you an example. The thing I struggle with was ju is justice, right? I want the justice now. I want people to be pounded, actually. I really do. I mean, they're so evil, man. I mean, you know, when, when I see them cutting off body parts of children, I, I, I want judgment on that person, on that doctor that did that. Because you can't reverse that, right? I, that, I want judgment for that. And it's not coming right now. It's just not coming, and I know that, but I struggle with that. I struggle with the delay. And, and, and of course, I struggle with First Peter, uh, sorry, Second Peter chapter 3. It says, I'm not willing that any should perish, that all should come repentance. That's why you don't see immediate judgment happening to those people. It will come, but it's not now. And, and so that's, that's been a very difficult struggle for me in waiting on the Lord because I'm like, because there's a part of me that says you're letting, you're letting these, these creeps get off. You know what I mean? I know it's not theologically right. I know that. But my emotions are not there. Does that make sense? 
my emotions say, these people ought to have a bolt of lightning go right through the top of their head down to their feet for what they're doing to children. You know, and I, like, for instance, I look at Fauci and I'm like, that, that dude deserves the death penalty. Why is that guy not dead for killing millions of people, right? And everyone else that was involved, like Pfizer and Moderna, in giving these vaccines to people that kills millions of people. I think they deserve death. And they probably do, but God's given them a time to repent. And obviously, I have to deal with that. And I, it's not according to my timing. But I tell you, that's what I struggle with. You got to have a deep confidence that the Lord will guard what is truly important because you're going to lose things in this life. Okay? What's important to Him? Your life, your salvation, the promises He's made, right? He's going to give you what you truly need. And safeguard what is important. So if, if, if you lose something, it wasn't important in, in that sense of spiritual help. Like you, well, I lost my job, okay, because I'm not woke and I won't comply with you know, the, 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 the transgender movement. I won't comply. I mean, a lot of doctors are going to go out of business. I mean, when this goes down uh, and telling them you've got to support transgenderism, you've got to support the next wave of, of experimental injections, right? Um, people can lose. But you have to have that deep confidence that what you lose is okay. I, I remember my son, he's in college, and he asked me, he goes, he goes, Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm losing a lot of things in my life right now. Losing friends, I'm losing this, I'm losing that. I said, yeah, that's how life is. You will constantly lose, but you have to remember that which you lose is important that you lose it so you can move on to the next season of life, even if it's a friend or whatever. And um, it's a hard concept for him to get, but I said get used to it because that's the way life works. You have to get used to losing things because he's, he's pruning. He's pruning things off of us to get us to where he wants us. And you have to have that confidence. You have to have a deep understanding of how the Lord empathizes with us. What do you mean? You have to really understand that he feels your pain. And you, you're, I know when we start suffering and we start feeling pain, it's a, you, you, have, you have this mentality that can come in there and saying, well, because he's not rescuing me from my pain, he must not care about my pain. And that's where that's an unhealthy link. It's not that he doesn't care. Maybe he's using it for you. Maybe he's using it to break you. I don't know. Maybe he's using it to wake you up. I don't know. He could have a myriad of reasons. But it's not because he doesn't care about you. And you, you, you have to break that disconnection between... If I'm suffering, he must not care for me. You have to break that connection because it's not valid. And then lastly, you have to have the deep understanding that you are known to him and he understands you. That's the element of a, a relationship. If you have a relationship with somebody and you say they truly know me, then you feel comfortable with them and you can trust them. You know, this is funny. If you're trying to win an argument, let me give you a tip. If you think, there's times when you just got to speak raw truth. There's no doubt about that, okay? There's times, but if let's say you're trying to win someone to the Lord, right? 
and you're, you're trying to, and they're, they're seeking and you're working on this with them, okay? So it's not some belligerent goofball out there, you know, some atheist that's in your face cussing you out. It's someone that you're trying to witness to. The, the best way to go about it is to start the relationship with them first and then segue into the truth. Because it's grace, then truth. It's not truth, then grace. It's grace, then truth. And, and instead of, here's what, uh, here's what the person is looking for, because I know I was looking for it. I'm looking to see whether or not I can trust you as another human being. And the only way I can trust you is if you get me and you understand where I'm coming from. So you have to know me. And if you know me, then I can actually trust you before we start down the road of truth. Because if you decide to give me truth right off the bat and you don't know me, then I, I have more of an opposition to what you're telling me because I don't trust you because I don't know you and you don't know me. So when you have a situation like that, that's how you, you, you have to start. Grace, then truth. Grace first is relationship and then truth. And what you're looking for is you have to know them. You have to empathize with them. You have to understand where they're coming from. And then that actually opens them up. That's why people tell me, Brandon, I don't understand why so many people come to me and they always want to dump their stuff on me. And I'm like, well, that's actually a good thing because it shows that you're a connector first rather than hitting them over the head with the truth. And there's a time where you have to hit people over the head with the truth. Don't get me wrong. But if you're trying to win them to the Lord, um, this whole understanding thing has to come first. So what God does is he comes to us and says, I understand you. I understand your pain. I understand where you're at. I understand everything you've gone through. I want to help you. And here's the way I want to help you. And then he boom, 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 starts lining out the truth. But he first approaches us that way as I understand you, I get you. And my son is a sympathetic high priest who understands all the pain that you've went through. That's how God starts everything off. So if you can understand that, you have to do the reverse with him. You have to understand him in that sense. That's how you increase your faith. It's these, these key aspects is what increases your faith. Now you probably understand by looking at these, these 10 principles, why most people are not connected to God as fully as they could be. They are not Mary sitting at his feet learning these deep truths so they can trust him that when he goes to the cross, he knows they, Mary knows he's going to resurrect. So I don't need to see an empty tomb. I already know. He, he, why? Because he told Mary, I'm going to die and resurrect. In three days, I'll be resurrected. Okay, she believes it because she listened. She has this intimate conversation with him, and she's learning at his feet. Now, here's the funny thing about this. This is not typical Jewish rabbi teaching because the rabbis would never teach a female. They would never allow that. Now, that's their own Jewish traditions, and that's their own Pharisee. It never said in the Bible, a male uh, rabbi can't teach a female. So he's even upending the status quo of what the Pharisees have set up. And so he's discipling her as she listens to him. And, and, and bless God, 
she understands it. And look at the difference between her and Martha at the end of this. So with that being said, if you get these things, start working on that. Start working on these things. And what you'll notice is you will know God in a more intimate way. You won't know of God. You will know him. That's why Moses says, I want to know your ways. I want to know you at a different level than most people know you. And brother, that is the key. And your faith will explode and you will be able to do things that most Christians can't because they don't have enough faith. You want to do great things for God that he's leading you to do. You can't do it without faith. Faith is the only thing that pleases him. So my thing is, we got a lot of work to do. We got a lot to face. We have a lot of challenges coming our way. And so it's going to require this faith. So I've got to know God better. Like I told you, I got to know about his justice better. I, I, I simply lack, I lack in that area. And you have to find those areas. All right, any questions before we close down and have a, a break? Clear as mud? Right? Yeah? Okay. All right, let's take a five-minute break. We'll come back. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.